Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. scripture this morning comes from the 13th chapter of John's gospel. I'll be reading the first 11 verses. As we come to this passage, join me first in a moment of prayer. Gracious God, because you are God, it is your word and your word alone that is life for us. And because you are gracious, we trust that you will speak to us even now. We are here, O God. We are listening. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Let us listen now for God's Word for us. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean though not all of you, for he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. It's a familiar passage, and it begins by talking of Jesus' love. Our translation says, Jesus loved his own. He loved them to the end. Others translate the verse, he loved them to the full extent. One is a reference to time. He loved them to the end. There is no end to Jesus' love. The other is a reference to the quality of love. Jesus shows us what real love looks like. In English, we have to make a choice. Is it time or is it quality? It's best to go with the Greek in 
the Greek, you don't have to make that choice. It's both. There is no end to his love, and he shows us what love looks like. So there was a woman who lived across the street from my grandmother. Her name was Lake. My grandmother and Lake were friends. My grandmother was down in the back, as they say in South Carolina, which was not an uncommon experience for her. Lake knocked on the back door because that was the door closest to the kitchen. She went ahead and opened it herself. I was standing there. She said, Tommy, here's some supper for you and your grandmother. I know that Boss is on the road. Boss was the name of my grandfather. At least he was boss in name although his being on the road or being at home had absolutely nothing to do with whether there would be supper or not. She said, here's some supper for you and your grandmother. I know she's down in the back. About that time, my grandmother hobbled into the kitchen. Lake, what in the world are you doing? Now, Lorraine, you know you're not feeling good. I just brought a little for you and time to eat. She said, I, my grandmother said, I'm fine, she said with a grimace. Now, stop it, Lorraine. You know, you can't cook when you're feeling like you are. They went back and forth, my grandmother appearing to be insulted that her friend had showed a, uh, an act of kindness and Lake insisting that we were going to eat her chicken and dumplings, whether we were hungry or not. I didn't understand why my grandmother didn't just say, thanks, Lake, this is wonderful. What's for dinner tomorrow? But that was because I was eight, and I didn't know the role that pride and sometimes shame can play in friendship. You may think my grandmother was prideful, insisting, I don't need any help. I can take care of dinner. It would be a reasonable assumption, but it was more complicated than that. The truth is, she was a little ashamed for reasons I don't fully know, ashamed that she was in need, ashamed of other things which an eight-year-old would never really understand. But I did learn this about her. Seldom did she feel like she was enough. Often pride or an appearance of pride can cover for a feeling of inadequacy or even shame. At the age of eight, I, I didn't have the language to name the dance that pride and shame can often play in friendship, but it's there, and it's not a help. You know, most of us have a little bit of my grandmother in them. We feel our own sense of inadequacy at times. Sometimes we even bring to mind things that we have done or failed to do of which we are quite ashamed, and we regret deeply. And when we do, it's not uncommon to encounter kindness, friendship, love, even love to the extent with a, why are you doing that? You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't have. We live with an internal, eternal second guesser that's always questioning us. It is powerful, particularly if our inadequacy is so strong, we feel ashamed because shame is a hard condition to shake. The passage that we read this morning, it's, 
It's usually read during Holy Week because this is the it's the time in Jesus' ministry where this conversation and action took place. It's the Last Supper. And when Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us the Last Supper, they tell us about the conversation that happened at the table. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. But John skips that, and he tells us of something else that Jesus did, I imagine, just before that conversation. John tells us that Jesus, he took a towel, and he knelt down, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. It made them uncomfortable. Peter was the only one recorded to have objected, but I imagine all of them were a little uncomfortable. Jesus is not supposed to wash their feet. They would most likely have done that themselves. Or if they'd entered a home where the master had a slave, the slave might be charged to wash the feet of the guest. But Jesus is Jesus. He is the leader. He is the master. He is not supposed to be doing servant work. It made them uncomfortable. And Peter sounds a bit proudful here. You will never wash my feet, he says. But I think it's more complicated than that. I think he knows Jesus is Jesus, and he doesn't feel worthy. Yes, Peter is remarkable. In another gospel, Peter is the one who walks on water. But Peter is also the one to whom Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And in a few hours, Peter will deny him. He's a mixed bag. And he doesn't feel like he's enough. No, Jesus, you should never wash my feet. You know, several times I've been part of planning a worship experience, usually for a retreat, maybe at Montreat or General Assembly or somewhere. And someone will say while we're planning this, wouldn't it be wonderful to incorporate in, into this worship service some foot washing? We could have people come down, remove their socks and shoes, and, and we could have people wash their feet. It's intimate. W- wouldn't it be wonderful? And I smile, but inside I'm saying, no, 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 no. There's nothing about this that would be wonderful. I don't want someone washing my clammy smelly, non-pedicured feet. No. It's awkward. But in Jesus' day, this was a, not an uncommon practice. It wasn't the practice itself. It was who was doing it. And the truth is, Peter did not feel worthy I think this moment echoes the moment in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus comes to the Jordan River and John the Baptist is there baptizing everything that moves, and Jesus says, I wish to be baptized. And John's response is, no, I can't baptize you. You are the one who should be baptizing me. I think that's what Peter is feeling in this moment. No, Lord, if anyone is to is to wash anyone's feet. I'm the guy who should be doing the washing. He doesn't feel worthy. Worth is a tricky thing. In Frederick Backman's novel, Us Against You, 
He describes life in a town called Bear Town. And he describes Bear Town this way. He said, there are both good and bad people who live here. And that makes it complicated because it isn't always easy to tell who's who. And sometimes we're both at the same time, good and bad. Indeed. In our theology, we know that all of us are a mix, that good people, even the best of people, can do the most horrendous things. And even the worst of people can do the most surprising good things. None of us is pure. We're all a mix. And it can cause us to say to those who love us, what are you doing? You, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that for me. Move on to Thaddeus, to James, to, to John, to Matthew. They deserve it, but not me. I've shared with you before several times that the most frequently read article in the New York Times in the year 2016 was an article entitled, Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. <laughs> The author says when we first meet each other in a date, we're trying to put our best foot forward. We're trying to impress. We're trying to show the good side of ourselves, you know, the online side. And, and he says the problem with that is if you really get to know someone, you get to know them, and you'll learn they're a mixed bag. They're good and bad at the same time. That's the challenge with our friendships. I mean, if they're really our friends, they know us. And they know that we're a mixed bag. That's, why Pe that's what Peter is saying. He said, I can't have you wash my feet because I'm not worthy of this. And not only that, Jesus, you better than anyone know that I am not worthy of this. He is uncomfortable, maybe even ashamed. Peter sounds like he doubts that he is enough. And he has reason to doubt but he's wrong. He is enough. And that's why Jesus takes off his outer robe, wraps himself with a towel, gets down on his knees, and washes his disciples' feet to show his love to the end and to the fullest extent. Worth is a tricky thing. It's Mother's Day, and today we baptize Andrew and Anne, Colin and Margaret. They're just barely or not quite a year old, and they're as cute as they can be. But apart from that, apart from being cute, it's kind of hard to tell that much about them. We don't know what talents they're going to demonstrate. We, we don't know what their interest will be. Their parents, who know them better than anyone, they don't know any of that stuff either, actually. And it'll be fun as they grow to watch how they develop and who they become. And their parents will enjoy watching that as well. But here's the thing. Their parents don't need to know that. They don't need to know any of that of who they will become to know this. These little ones are loved. They are not loved because they're smart or talented. Truth is, we don't know that much about them. When you're a mother, 
You don't love your children because they let you sleep through the night, because you'll learn at various ages they'll develop various reasons to keep you awake in the middle of the night. You love them not because they make you laugh or faithfully make their beds. You love them because they're yours. They belong to you. And they belong to you not because of anything that's in their heart, but because of the love that lives in your heart. And are the kids worthy of that love? That question never comes up. That's not the question. That kind of love is not something that is earned. Love to the fullest extent and love to the end is not something of which we have to be worthy. It's always a gift. It's what makes it uncomfortable sometimes. But it's also what makes it holy. In friendship, sometimes you are the giver of that holy love. Hillerine, it's just chicken and dumplings. And what it says is, I love you. And sometimes you receive that holy love. Thank you, Lake. I don't know, I don't know how we would have gotten through without you. It's just like these parents who love their children just because they're their children. Now, don't get me wrong. Do they care about who they're going to grow up to become? Absolutely more than anybody else in the world. They're the ones who care. But who they grow up to become is not going to change this. They belong to their parents. I don't mean in a legal sense. I mean in a heart sense. They're claimed if I understand the text, Jesus girds a towel and he takes a bowl of water and he washes the feet of disciples whom he knows are a mixed bag. And it doesn't matter because he loves them to the end. He loves them to the fullest extent. He knows that Peter is the kind of guy who will walk on water one day and deny you the next. And he still takes a towel and a basin and gets on his knees and washes his feet because even though Peter is a mixed bag he is enough trust this you are enough you are loved by God and there's nothing that will change that you're not going to get things right all the time and sometimes you might do things of which you are deeply ashamed. And it matters, but it doesn't change the fact that you are a child of God. That's the promise that was made to you and of you at your own baptism. You are a child of God. And so God knows that and treats you that way. And if you're fortunate, Sometimes you'll have a friend who knows that, knows you are a mixed bag, but still shows up with kindness. When it happens, you don't have to brush it off. You don't have to be proud, prideful. You don't have to feel inadequate. Just be grateful because it's what love looks like when you're loved to the end and to the fullest extent, and you are.
Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.